This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. Selling your car? Visit Carvana and enter your license plate or VIN. Answer a few quick questions and you can get a real offer in seconds. When you finalize your offer, Carvana will pick it up so you never have to leave the comfort of home. Visit Carvana.com or download the app. When the lights come on, I'm just locked in. I literally feel the presence of the audience. Welcome to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. And if you know ESPN, you definitely know that voice. We also learned you can be rich beyond measure, highly successful and accomplished, yet still hungry, still starving. I mean, honestly, you could be a casual sports fan and still get it. He's the guy you can identify amongst every sports commentator possible, including myself. The star of ESPN, the highest paid in recent memory, and a hell of a trailblazer. And he always comes alive on screen. If this happens, Max, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> Go ahead, Max. Go ahead. Trust me, I've seen it. I'm talking about the one and only Stephen A. Smith. He's my colleague, my brother, and as he refers to himself, the kingmaker. More about that in a bit. As Stephen A. Smith said, when the lights come on, he's locked in. Because he covers sports like his life depends on it, all for his audience. And he's never, never afraid to speak his mind. Let's flash all the way back to Colin Kaepernick. Cap took a knee during the national anthem to protest police killings of unarmed black men. Stephen A. Smith stood up for this action after the NFL refused to resign the quarterback. But when Cap didn't show up to a league-organized tryout in 2019, Stephen A. was quick to call that out, too. And you decided, because of a waiver that you didn't want to sign, you were not going to show up. And at that moment, I said, he's done. They're not going to give him another chance. If you've listened to this podcast long enough, you guys know me. You know we're all about digging deeper into the person behind the persona here at The Limits. And I absolutely love finding out what makes people tick and how they overcome hard times to be where they are and who they are today. And with new projects on the horizon and a memoir coming out, this was the perfect time for a fresh and maybe even another first take on this man. Here's my conversation with the legend, the blueprint, my mentor and my brother, Stephen A. Smith. You know, you and I, have, we've talked a lot, but we never had a chance where mm-hmm. we really had like an in-depth conversation about sure. you. Gotcha. The man. Yeah. First off, can you just tell, I mean, you're running away from me on the basketball game. <laughs> just for people to know, we had, we had a little one-on-one, two-on-two challenge. Right, it was right, right, right. JJ Reddick and myself you know, against yeah, Stephen A. and another yeah, talent from ESPN. Yeah, and yes. Stephen A. said he can give me the business. That's not what you say. You say he can. I, I you have my tell mom, what you said? I have my own mom kick your ass. Yeah. That's what I said, yes. kick your ass. You know, I thought I worked hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. We talk about this a lot on right. air, about the correlation between being an athlete mm-hmm. and what you deem as work, because right. obviously you're achieving something that right. less than 0.5% people of the world can do. Mm-hmm. But I'll be real, Stephen A., like the, the level that you've set at our job has really set a pace and set a tone. Mm-hmm. That it's either you're coming and you're bringing it, or you're going to fall off. Mm-hmm. Where did that work ethic come from? Mama. Um, to have a mother. You know, my mother and father never divorced. They were married 
58, 59 years. And even though they never divorced, my father might as well have been an absentee dad. He just wasn't that guy. And my mother, who worked two jobs, she's a, she grew to be an assistant head nurse at Queens General Hospital right there in Queens. And she would work 16 hours a day. She'd be there, and then she'd go right down the block to the 11 o'clock at night. Six, seven days a week, 16 straight years, one week's vacation, nonstop. And she was always about putting the work. You can't say anything if you're not willing to put in the work. So I always held that mentality. When I was in school, I was on the basketball team. I still took 18 credit semester hours. Hmm. I still had an internship. <laughs> I still, and after the internship, I worked for the local newspaper and all of that stuff while I was in school. I did all of that because my mentality, believe it or not, even back then was work hard now. It won't feel hard later. And that's the same principle that you hold with everything. So that's where that work comes from. And then when it comes to ESPN, it's a different dimension because I've been through a lot to ESPN, which everybody knows and has been well chronicled. But I'm blessed and fortunate enough to be in a position where, for lack of a better phrase, I almost feel like a kingmaker. And what I mean by that is that I got this platform on first take. I'm the star of the show. The company has entrusted the show to me, just made me the executive producer, first take, all of this other stuff. When I come on the air, it's not just me sitting across debating you. It's me now evaluating you as a talent and looking at what the best is that you have in you and peeling that out to give you an opportunity to showcase it. Most people come to work and they do their job and they go home. My part, the part of my job is that they've placed me in a position where I can help others ascend. Because I'm not going to do this forever. I feel like I've been lucky to be around a lot of strong, confident, secure people in my life through sports. What would you say to somebody that may look at that and say, like, oh, that's kind of intimidating, right? Like you are in a position of power, but also you're a kingmaker. What do you say to somebody like that? I'd say to them, evaluate yourself. Look at the opportunity to work with me as an opportunity to evaluate yourself and look at your strengths and your own weaknesses. And then know that you got the time to rectify whatever you think needs to be modified, you know, to eliminate whatever holds you back and to buffer whatever your strengths are. Because you're working across from somebody who wants you to do that. I don't view anybody in that platform as my competition. I've been doing first take for, for 10 years. I've been number one for 10 years. Like, you can have the show tomorrow. You can have the show next year. You can have five years. It doesn't take away the 10 years of success I've had. Mm. It doesn't take away the fact that it's netted me millions. I did it. So now what are you going to do to help others? What are you going to do to help people be who they are? So when I look at guys and ladies and they're on the show, they'll tell you, I've had conversations. You know this. I've had conversations with everybody. Here's what you need to do. Here's what I think is going to help you. Here's where it goes. Because I want them to know you got a fan in me. You wouldn't be on the show if I didn't believe in you. This is what you need to do to get to this point because this is what's going on in the business. Mm -hmm. And I want you to elevate. It's almost like you're 
the godfather of media, but you're not the godfather. It's like, well, James Brown was always like the hardest working <laughs> yeah. man, right? Yeah. Like you're a younger version of that, still yes. doing, still king making for yourself. That's right. Help me evaluate talent for a second. Sure. Evaluate Stephen A's talent. Mm-hmm. Back in college in basketball. Oh Lord. Yes, I need I need to hear this breakdown. I could ball from the standpoint of you a cat on the street, you go to the basketball court, you could do it. I got a handle. I had a lethal jump shot. I didn't try to play no damn defense. I wouldn't think about it, you know. Um, you know, what have you. But you also humble enough to know your place. I could be 30 years younger, 100% in good health and shape. I couldn't shine Jay Williams shoes. I couldn't shine KD, Kyrie, and people like that. No, bro, there's levels to that. And I was never on that level, per se. I worked on my game in the park, but I didn't work on getting my legs stronger. I didn't work on getting my upper body stronger. I didn't work, about, I didn't work on my basketball IQ. Stuff like that that I know now, I wish I knew then. You a kid and... You got problems at home. You got problems in the neighborhood. You know, I got left back in the fourth grade. You know, you just trying to overcome all of these demons. And you just going to the basketball and shooting and thinking that that's what's going to get it done. And you really, really didn't know any better. And so that's really the way that I evaluate myself. And I, I was right where I belonged. I was a D2 player. And I think if I hadn't cracked my kneecap in half my first year there, I think I would have proven to be a pretty damn D2 player. But that's all I was. So I, I keep trying to tell people, because, you know, people love to ask me questions about, you know, when you're in yes. first take, yeah. is Stephen A loud all the time? <laughs> I'm like, yo, here's one of the most valuable things I've learned from you, man. It, it's really special. Yeah. Some days I see you in bad moods. Some days I see you on good moods, but when you sit down, it's like you're going into a damn game seven. Right. It's like I, I see you, you do this little thing with your neck. Yep. You turn your neck to the side, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a game face that comes right. on, and you you go into this is this is my realm. Yes. This is my form. Mm -hmm. Tell me in a, how in the hell did you find that inner voice? Because I couldn't have always been there. You know, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Is my honest answer. When the lights come on, I'm just locked in. I literally feel the presence of the audience. And so when you reach that, when you, when you gather that realization, all of a sudden it changes everything because you realize it is like a game seven. And the reason why it's like a game seven, people say, you know, he's just talking, he's just doing this. No, one word. One sentence could cost you everything. 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 And so when you're looking at it from that perspective, it is like a game seven. Because everything's on the line. Except for me, every day is on the line. And so I understand that. And because I understand it, and, and, and I also add this. I'm a black man. And I've told this to white folks many, many times. White folks come to work with a job to do. Black folks come with a responsibility. If you are a black person with a voice, something could happen that has absolutely positively nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your profession, nothing. And the black community is still telling you, you got to say something. Then they telling you what to say. You better say this. You got to represent. And you got all of that pressure. Now, do I feel pressure to subscribe to anyone's thinking, hell no. I feel the way I feel, and that is what I'm going to say.
But it doesn't mean that I don't hear the craving for the voiceless to be heard. So even if I disagree and even if I don't subscribe, I'll still make sure to echo the sentiments coming from elsewhere just to make sure people know there are people out there who feel this way. All of those things come with a responsibility. You could name any public figure that you want to. It could be in the world of entertainment, sports, politics, corporate America, Fortune 500 companies. I have heard from everyone about what I should say, how I should feel, what my opinions were, what they feel about it, whatever. And it happens every day. You see, I know personally that responsibility that Stephen A. Smith is talking about. I feel it every time I open my mouth on the microphone. We're going to talk about his views on sports and politics a little bit later in this conversation. But right after the break, Stephen A. deals with the worst rejection of his professional life using wisdom from his mom. This is The Limits from NPR. Stay with us. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Stephen A. Smith always had the goods to be a star in sports journalism. After a long interviewing process to get his first job at ESPN, one executive told him this. He looked me dead in my face and said, it was the greatest audition I have ever seen in the history of this business. But to put it all simply, he didn't understand the politics of this business at that time. He got fired in the year 2009 and retreated to his mother's home. And like moms do, she literally made him look in the mirror. Here's what he learned and how he grew as a professional and a person. You'd love to see it. Back to the show. Talk to me a little bit about your business arc. Because when I hear you talk business now, it is, um, I mean, Stephen, I've known you for what, 10 plus years yeah. now. Damn. You always talked it back then, but I've, I've watched the evolution of yeah. where you are. I mean, coming out with your book. Very soon, you have your own production company. Yep. It just seems like this whole brand has evolved into something exponentially bigger. Yeah. Give me a little bit about some of those mistakes that you made earlier on that you're now leveraging because you learned from. We all have egos. We all have this ingrained belief in ourselves or one of our many abilities. 
We all have that. We all feel victimized at some point in time or another. We feel marginalized, pigeonholed, shortchanged, placed in a box. I was a guy that knew that when it came to the world of journalism, writing, television, radio, articulating, elocuting, elocuting my point of view in a fashion that people would gravitate towards and be receptive to, I never had any doubt. In 2003, I was interviewed by Mike McQuaid, senior a producer at ESPN who's one of the elite dudes in this business. When ESPN hired me in October of 19, I'm um, 2003, I'm sorry, I had to go through 18 interviews. 18. In a day, like 15 minutes, 15 minutes. It's 15 a car minutes, wash. Yeah. It's a car wash. And my last one was Mike McQuaid. <clears throat> and Mike McQuaid looked me in my face and he said, you were at Fox Sports. That's sort of like, you know, you the big man on campus. You sort of like the big man, the big fish in the little pond. Hmm. Well, ESPN, we consider ourselves the big pond. So how are you going to feel about being the little fish in the big pond? And I looked around and I said, I mean, no disrespect, but I ain't going to be no little fish in anybody's pond. Put me in front of the camera, turn the lights on move out the way and watch me do what I do. It's exact, my exact words to him. And I did it and I thought I was going, they going to get back to me in a week or whatever. And I was driving home from Bristol to New York in 90 minutes or so, 90 minutes to two hours. My agent called and said, congratulations, you got a three year deal with ESPN. Hmm. And Mark Shapiro, who's now the president of WME, William Morris Endeavor, was the executive VP for programming and production for ESPN at the time. And he hired me. And a few months later, he looked me dead in my face and said, it was the greatest audition I have ever seen in the history of this business. My problem was I thought that was all I needed, which is why I ended up without a contract in 2009. Because I'd go out in the street and everybody knew who I was because of my delivery mm. and because of my presentation and because of the content of my information. And I thought I was the shit. And ESPN said, no, you're not. We'll be just fine without you. And they let me go when I didn't accept the contract offer that they offered. And from 2009 to 2011, now one network called to put me on television. Not, Not one. one? Why? I think, I don't know why, but they didn't want me. Did I feel like if I were white, this wouldn't be happening? Sure. But the reality is, is that I was black. I knew it. So I knew what to anticipate in the event that I ended up without a job and allowed myself to be in that position anyway. So rather than pointing the finger at ESPN or all other networks out there who didn't want me, I looked at myself with my mother's help. I laid in my room when my contract was not renewed. My mother brought me a tray of food because she know I loved my toasted bagels with the extra butter and my hot tea with milk and sugar. And this one morning, after two days at a house, 
in my old bunk bed that I used to sleep in. I was just laying there depressed the whole bit. Didn't want to come outside, just soaking it all in. And my mother brought me my food with a tray, on a tray. And on a tray was a handheld mirror. And I said, what is this for? She said, it's, I'm just waiting for you to look at yourself as to why all this happened to you. It's real easy to point the finger at everybody else. What did you do? And then she lit into me about things that she had heard and she didn't even know sports. The tone, the manner in which you were talking to your boss and stuff like that. She said, why would they want you? Who do you think you are? I didn't raise you like that. She said, you can express your point of view, be strong in where you stand, be ethical and be professional and still be respectful to the people you work for and the people you work with. That is not what I heard. She said, I'm not saying that you deserve this. She said, but I understand why they think you did. And the turnaround began then. Because that was always mom. That was always her. And so I looked at that. And from that moment forward, I locked in. I looked at myself, what mistakes I made, what errors I made, went about the business of correcting them. But more importantly than that, I adopted a business mentality. I made the huge mistake of allowing noise in the streets to define my worth in my mind. That is not what defines your worth. Ratings does, revenue does, Q scores do, and all the other ancillary things that executives evaluate to tell them what your value is. I knew none of that information. I had no access to any of that information, and therefore I was clueless. I was a dude that literally thought I was the man just because people knew who the hell I was, which is one of the stupidest things you could ever do. But that's what I did. And I didn't do this when I was 19 or 20. I did this when I was damn near 40 years old, over 40 years old. It was inexcusable ignorance. And so from that moment forward, I was like, that shit ain't happening again. And so I went about, I commenced about the business of learning my business, understanding the do's and don'ts, understanding what goes into defining success or lack thereof for somebody in our industry and in our business. And then I came up with a slogan for my own self that I would wake up every morning with two thoughts on my mind. How do I make my boss's money and how do I get some of it? Because I know that if my number one goal is to make my boss's money, they will always want to listen to me because I'm trying to make their money. Mm. And from that moment forward, I have felt freer, not totally free, of course, because I still answer the folks, but I have felt freer than I have ever been in my entire adult life. I saw you said that on the show one time and I remember reading the comments about it. And I, I, this was not my takeaway from you mm -hmm. saying that. But people said, well, that's interesting because Stephen A can own his own network one day. Yes. Why, would he, why would he only think about making his boss's money when he himself is the enterprise? Because at the time, I wasn't that enterprise. No one knows what I'm thinking now. <laughs> but at the time, 
I wasn't that enterprise. Um, I love working for ESPN. My goal, if I hope, you know, I shouldn't say ESPN because I have bigger visions. Disney. Disney's the number one distributor of content in the world. In my perfect world, I'm under the Disney umbrella for the rest of my career. But that won't happen if that's all I'm limited to. Hmm. I have aspirations. That's why I own my own production company. And there's things that's going to be announced in a matter of days where I'm going to own a few other things that's going to come to light. Um, I've got my book coming out, my memoir. I'm not playing. I've got a couple of projects that's about to be greenlit. I'm working on developing my own drama series. Okay? I've got, I've got not one but two projects coming up with Spike Lee. I'm not playing. So for me, it's like I have a bigger vision. But we're all associated with somebody. Yeah, Mr. SAS, I can produce all the content in the world. Well, who's going to distribute it? There's Disney, there's Netflix, there's Amazon, there's Apple, there's Peacock with NBC. There's, the list goes on and on. You ain't working alone. Hell, even Tyler Perry got content on OWN. So, again, you could be your own boss, but this notion that you can go solo, you neither want nor need anyone to work with, is foolhardy. It's not accurate. You know? Who distributes Jay-Z's music? LeBron James plays basketball for somebody. You see what I'm saying? One of the best parts about business is the amplification. So I saw you got a chance to host Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, man. Tell me, how was that? That's so, the dichotomy between Jimmy Kimmel, First Take, mm -hmm. and SportsCenter, very, very different. Yeah. Is that the direction you want to go I with I would love career? to do a late night show. I don't know if it'll ever happen. Um, ESPN and Walt Disney knows I want to do that. Um, I enjoyed it because I wanted an opportunity to show my range, that I could make people laugh, that I could make people have a good time, um, and that I could celebrate the people that I talk to. Because on first take, you're debating all the time. And in the course of debating, you know, you rah-rah, you're going at each other to accentuate your point of view. And sometimes when you're doing that, obviously you're taking sides. And you're making enemies along the way because that's what comes with it. I wanted to be in a venue where I ain't making any enemies. That, guess what? I know how to smile. I know how to laugh. I know how to celebrate you for who you are and to have a good time just talking about what you bring into the table. It's something that I ultimately want to do. In a perfect world, I would like to do that. But I'm versatile. If it's not going to be that, it'll be something else. Stephen A is the blueprint, not just for people like me who are directly in his industry. Yes, I said his industry because, you know, he's the North Star right now. After the break, we get back to one of the things that makes him stand out so much in our field. No one hits at sports and politics together and better than Stephen A. And yes, we are going to unpack his take on Colin Kaepernick. This is The Limits from NPR. I'm Jay Williams. You better stay with us. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org. This message comes from Wondery. 
for a masterclass on innovation and creativity. Listen to How I Built This, where host Guy Raz talks to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. Listen to How I Built This early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity. Tells you there is more to uncover. How how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism, immersive and intimate stories. I was stone cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls. No profits. No nonsense. Download it in your app store today. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. I told y'all that we get into Stephen A. and his coverage of Colin Kaepernick. He advocated for the QB when he took a knee. It's always a beautiful thing to challenge the culture, challenge the conscience of America, thereby reminding us of what we're supposed to be as a gorgeous mosaic that exists in the world that we live in. But then lambasted him when he wouldn't show up for an NFL workout. And you decided, because of a waiver, that you didn't want to sign, you were not going to show up. And at that moment, I said, he's done. They're not going to give him another chance. This is Stephen A. in a nutshell. He's always going to tell you his unvarnished truth and be fully honest with you when his mind changes in real time. His bread and butter is to give you his opinion, and the man is never lacking it on any subject. Here's more from my conversation with Stephen A. I got one for you, Colin Kaepernick. What about it? How do you feel like you handled that overall situation? Perfectly. For me, I have no problem with it. Um, Spike Lee interviewed me for their documentary on Colin Kaepernick. I refuse to apologize then. I refuse to apologize now. And I don't give a damn what anybody feels. Um because I know I'm right. Colin Kaepernick made the decision that he made. I supported Colin Kaepernick. I went on Good Morning America. This is all on tape. I went on Good Morning America. I went on First Take. I went on Fox News. I went on MSNBC. Like he was blackballed. This is BS. It's wrong. He violated no bylaws of the National Football League. He violated no laws under the Constitution of the United States of America. He did nothing wrong to justify this. That's one element. The other element is the reality and the consequences of your actions. The corporate America element that is the National Football League is going to come for you. They don't want those kind of problems. When you saw people marching, when you saw people protesting in the past or whatever, they knew there was a price they would be paid. They were doing it for other people. So my point to Colin Kaepernick, you say you're doing it for other people, and I don't doubt that you are sincere with that. But you also have to understand there's a price that you're going to pay, and you have to accept that. I'm ready to play. With it. No, you're not. 
they wanted you to come do a workout. The National Football League ordered, or, or you know, you know, organized rather, a workout for one individual player for the first time in the history of the league. Jay-Z and others were actively involved, proponents of them making sure they gave you a fair tryout. You were clamoring for one team to give you a chance. 26 teams showed up. 18 of them sent African-American personnel to evaluate you. And we were told, I know I was told, you'd have to throw the ball into the stands not to have a job in two weeks. Mm. And all you had to do was show up. And you refused. You talked about a waiver. You talked about your history with the National Football League. Well, how many people sue their employer and then go back and work for them? You understood this. So then when you decide not to show up to the last minute, what did you think that was going to lead to? You knew exactly what that was going to lead to, and you did it anyway. So let's stop playing games and acting like you want to play. You know what it took to play. You made decisions that knew were going to prohibit you from playing. You've been well documented about your lack of trust for the National Football League. So why are we playing games here? It's no problem. I think you're an exceptional martyr. I think you made a sacrifice. I think you were completely righteous in the position that you took. I don't believe that you had, you should have ever had to play the price for it personally, but you knew it was coming. You did it anyway. So don't act like, oh, I'm shocked that I'm not playing. You knew good and damn well you wasn't going to be playing. It's been interesting to me because I feel like when people look at you, Stephen A., it's like you are the beacon of light for a lot of black people, mm -hmm. right? And it's almost in a way... This is part of your responsibility mm -hmm. to protect a person like that as opposed to articulate and compartmentalize the effects of his own decision and how you see that objectively. To me, I did both. I did protect them. But people hear one thing louder than the other. I feel right? you, and that's their problem. Yeah. That's not mine. If Jay Williams, who speaks fluent English, says to you, it's raining outside, bring an umbrella. You don't get to go outside without an umbrella and then come to Jay Williams and complain about being wet. <laughs> he told you it was raining outside. He told you to bring an umbrella. You went outside without the damn umbrella and got the nerve to complain about you being wet to him who warned you about what was coming. That's what we're talking about here. See, the problem that we have with a lot of people in our community, because I'm an unapologetically proud black man. I am not just a black man. I am a brother. I love my peoples. But that don't mean we can't be trifling sometimes. I didn't say them. I said we. I'm one of them. We all got our stuff with us. And what I'm saying to you is that how did I how was I able to overcome? How did I go from being fired to being the highest paid dude in ESPN's history until recently? How the hell did that stuff happen? Because I learned from the error of my ways and I maneuvered my way through the minefield because I studied the minefield and I knew where the bombs were. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I knew what I knew what to I knew how to sift my way through that minefield and to do what I needed to do to get to this point. I didn't learn that on my own. I learned it through counsel. I talked to people who knew. I learned the error of my ways. And I made sure not to duplicate the mistakes I had once made. That's what I do. And so because of it, I was able to elevate and ascend myself to the status that I have now. It's not going to last forever. Okay? 
because they never let it last forever. But I also will tell you this, and I would say this to my peoples, you know, I don't, you know, people come to me, you're leading the black community, no. I'm proud if that's how you want to look at me, but I don't look at myself like that. I look at myself as one of us who's been blessed and fortunate enough to be in this position. But I'm going to tell you what inspires me, man. I'm not anti-anything. I am pro-black. And when I say that, I mean it in this respect. I'm tired of seeing other folks win. I don't want to be one of those dudes that's bloviating, running my mouth, and I'm expressing myself emotionally for my 15 seconds to 15 minutes of fame and somebody else walking away with the bag. Nah, I want to walk away with the bag. Figuratively and literally. That's my game. In your heart of heart, you know that's your game. All day. And, that's every, and that's every person's game that's trying to be successful. And the one thing that I try to do when I'm talking to people is, okay, this is what it's going to take for you to be successful. The world is filled with cats that didn't want to do what it took and want to lament the state of affairs that they really did nothing about to change. I'm not that guy. You have so much range, man. I mean, it goes from joking and laughing mm -hmm. to being intense. But also, I think one of the things that's happened in sports, which is really fascinating, is the politicization of sports, right? And how these worlds have collided. And you and I have got into like an on-air debate about Kyrie Irving and about the vaccine. And it wasn't about the vaccine for you. It was more about the history of what comes along with Kyrie Irving. But when you see things like that that happen in sports get politicized and get weaponized. You have been one of the few that openly have dialogue about it when it feels like people don't want to go to other places for that combination of politics and sports. How did you merge those two worlds together? Fearlessness. I'm not scared. I don't have a problem letting you know where the hell I stand and how I feel as it pertains to the world of politics because politics dramatically infiltrates our lives. Why are we going to pretend otherwise? So the politicization of sports actually benefits us because we talk about sports being a microcosm of our society and we talk about sports historically having an impact on change in our society. Well, guess what? How would that ever occur if we weren't ever willing to politicize it? Mm. Grab it by the horn and run with it. So one of the things that I've seen that when you speak up on these massive issues that carry a lot of economic and personal weight to the athletes that are speaking out, and it's a tough part with our job because almost in a way, even with Colin Kaepernick, the execution strategy about what you do afterwards, maybe yes. something's not as well planned out as we would like for it to be. Mm -hmm. But how do you deal with, with being at odds? Like when you go at Colin for the execution strategy or when LeBron James speaks up or when things happen at the bubble in NBA playoffs about what they're going to do about George Floyd, mm -hmm. how do you collaborate? That's, I heard you use that word a ton. When your form is mostly about striking debate or saying, here's what they did right, but here's what they did wrong. How do you go about that? I'm different from a lot of people because I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the audience. Right. Hmm. If you are hypothetically 
Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, somebody like that. And you're making over $30 million a year. And you've made a mistake. I'm calling you out, sure. But to me, I'm only calling out what you did, not who you are. Because I want those on the come up to know you can't pull that. Don't you even think about trying. Because if you do, you're going to pay a price you can't afford to pay. They can afford to pay it. You can't. LeBron James could go on the air and say the most reprehensible things you can find. Not that he would ever do it because he's class personified. But he could say the most reprehensible thing you could find. So can KD. And they could never work again. And they will be just fine. It's like I try to tell people you have range. So we've talked from racial comments to political comments to the sports industry. And these are all things that you cover on a daily basis. Yes. You've got a memoir coming out in January. It's called Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Brilliant spin, by the way. The name, I like it. <laughs> and our moms are so important to us both, Stephen A. Yes. You talked about her right out of the gate. What do you say about Mama in your book? She's the greatest woman I've ever known. Um, I, I miss her every day. I would be nothing without her. Nothing. And one of the most painful moments of my life happened when I was a teenager. And it's in a book. And I talk about lying to my mother for the first time. It was about an incident involving my father. And one of the most painful moments was when I came home and she was sitting on the bed crying. And she said, and I'm here thinking it was a death in the family, but what happened? Why'd you lie to me? And this is maybe about 38, 39 years ago. My skin, the hair stood up on my skin just now, recalling that story. I remember it like it was yesterday. Because for her to say, why'd you lie to me? But to hear her say that paralyzed me. And so what does that have to do with now when I'm on TV? When I'm talking to somebody, I'd rather you be upset or put back by my truth than me having to live with my lie to you. You don't have to beat them over the drum with your truth. You don't have to do all of this, but don't be some damn liar. And that's a code I live by. And it's very, very, very important to me. That's the code I live by. It's one of a few, but it's definitely right up there. Well, I appreciate you, man. You definitely... You've told me your unvarnished truth to me in my life multiple times, and that's, I feel like every young person needs somebody to help them sometimes. I'm proud of you, I'm proud of who you are, I'm proud of what you do. You know, we're a little bit different in our own ways and all of that other stuff, and you care, and you're not shy about letting somebody where you stand. I consider you a real friend, and, and I just think that you're one of the best people I know, my brother. Matt, I feel yeah. same way about you, Matt. Thank you, man. My pleasure, my man.
A big shout out to Stephen A. Smith for making this interview happen and go down. And to him personally, I know we talk all the time on the air, but frankly, I've never had this kind of conversation with you to learn who you are, where you're from, and where you're going. It's not only a blueprint for me, but a blueprint to anybody in our industry who wants to keep speaking their truth. So many lessons are going to stay with me, and I am always proud to see where your career is going and where your candor takes you. In this week's Plus episode, how Stephen A. thinks about business partnerships and how the business of sports and politics are inextricably linked. We're back next Tuesday. And until then, remember, stay positive and let's keep it moving. The Limits is produced by Devin Schwartz, Mano Sundaresan, and Lena Sunsgiri. Our intern is Daniel Soto. Our executive producers are Karen Kenny, Verilyn Williams, and Yolanda Sangueni. Our senior VP of programming and audience development is Anya Grumman. Music by Ramteen Arab Louie. Special thanks to Christina Hardy, Rudy Correa, and Charlotte Rigby. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.